Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. The, the way this started, like I, I went to lunch with a buddy of mine um, when I was at this startup in New Jersey and we went to the mall and at the mall, there was a Lego store. And I'd never been in a Lego store before. In fact, I didn't even know they, they existed. And um, I was like, man, I was like, we have to go in there. And he's like, oh, you're into Lego? And I'm like, yes. And we went in. And at the back of the store, uh, there's a wall where you could- You're listening to Chad Collins, the founder of a number of extremely large events. Now, we've had episodes in the past about putting on your own workshops, putting on your own conference with maybe a few hundred. But imagine putting together an event in your space- with tens of thousands of people. And not necessarily an event where it's just a bunch of speakers the whole time, but massive amounts of vendors in the space that you're in coming together. Imagine like a comic con in San Diego, but for your industry. This is what we're gonna talk about today with Chad Collins. And you might be like, well, Pat, that's way too big for what I'm thinking. And it's out of my league. But I want you to hear the story about how Chad got started, why he's going down this direction, and how you could possibly do something similar and how powerful that can be for your business and your brand and your life and changing not just your life, but the lives of the attendees of that event too. And so we're gonna talk about all that, but first, music please. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he doesn't like foods where the skeleton's on the outside of the animal. You know, like lobster. Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Welcome to session 347 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today, like I said, we have Chad Collins from chadcollins.me, as well as openworldevents.com. He's gonna tell us how this all got started and how you could possibly follow the same route too. I met Chad at an event that I was speaking at in Boise called Craft and Commerce. This is the ConvertKit conference. Chad was speaking on stage and he talked about the story that you're going to hear about and it was just completely mind-blowing. Plus, it really made me feel like that anybody could do this too. Is it for everybody? Not necessarily. And we'll talk about who this might be for and how it might fit into what you're trying to do. But let's not wait any further. Here's Chad Collins. Let's do this. Hey, what's up, Chad? Thanks for joining us on the SPI podcast. Thanks for being here, man. You got it, Pat. What's up? Dude, I want to know how you got into what you do. So before we get into that, Tell everybody what you do. Uh, what are you known for in this space? Well, uh, so we have an event production company called Open World, and 
at the end of the day, we do one thing and we do it well, and that's we produce mass, massive family events. So define massive family event, because we've had people come on the show talking about events before, like conferences and little workshops and things like that. But like, tell me about what, what does this family event look like? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, massive really is the size and scope of, of the event, right? So we do events in like the Lego space. So we have an event called Brickfest Live. Um, we also have another touring event called Mindfair, which is a Minecraft fan experience and those events you know will go into something like the la convention center where there's 150,000 square feet and it's between 10 and 20,000 attendees over a weekend 10 to 20,000 attendees yeah 10 to 20,000 attendees per weekend and and right now we're running at about 20 or so events every calendar year dude that's that's insane why before we get into how you got into this, like, tell me, what do you, what do you enjoy about, about that? I mean, that just seems super overwhelming to me to manage that many people at, a, <laughs> at an event. Why do you do it? Well, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, like we got into this because I'm like a Lego fan, right? I, right. As a kid, I was a Lego fan. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I was able to introduce my daughter to Lego, um, it kind of brought me all the way back. And, like at the end of the day, the reason why is because we want to um, we want to get into the brains of these kids, and the events we have are also educational at the same time. So we believe that the more time you spend creating, whether it's in Lego or in Minecraft, right now, um, you know, it's wiring your brain a different way. And really, there's an unlimited return on the investment in your time and dollars um, that you're spending uh, in those two spaces at the at the moment. So. STEM education is, is a big deal. I mean, you knowing from like your architecture background, um, I'm sure there was time spent, you know, creating with different toys totally. that you that you then applied to your career. Um, and some of my best friends growing up are now in that space as well. And I know that that us hanging out and playing like Lego as a kid um, is what led them to go achieve what they what they've achieved. Now, I remember watching your presentation at Craft and Commerce where you introduced to us this world of massive uh, massive events like what you do, and you made me feel like I, I could really do it if I if I really wanted to. It, it kind of I never had even thought about it. Um, why would you say that this is a business model that people should potentially be interested in? Because it's the most powerful thing that you can do for your audience, um, and, and really, we. So we actually wanted to go to an event. Like we, my daughter and I started a YouTube channel, and and the, through the growth of the YouTube channel, we wanted to show our audience that they could be in a room of people just as enthusiastic as you are, right? Mm-hmm. So so we wanted to go to a Lego event, and the closest one was like several states away. Now I'm, I live in Philadelphia, and it's a big city, and I was surprised that there was nothing in my in my area, but there were other Lego events happening, right? So. So the idea was, well, let's create one locally. Let's create one here so people don't have to travel so far to go to one. And and when we did that, really the intention in the beginning wasn't to scale and create an event production company. The intention was just to have this one event in our backyard where mm-hmm. we can invite you know um, Lego enthusiasts to participate and also open it up to the public. Um, it's not until we, we saw how demand, how there was demand, where we scratched this itch of so many families, um, that we thought, wow, this is something that, that we could bring on the road. Um, 
But to your point of, is this a viable business model? Is this something that I can do? I believe that you know, you don't have to come out of the gate and have a 20,000 person show, right? You can have an event, whether it's for 15 people or 1,500 people or 500 people um, and, and do it well, even if there's other events that are in your space, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to create something that doesn't exist because the, the fact that you're creating it and that it's your people that are going to be coming to your event uh, makes it unique enough, right? They're there um, oftentimes because of who is putting on the event, not necessarily because of, of the, you know, of the, of the output at the end of the day. Right. I'd love to understand the difference between something like what you said. You, it's, it's a show. It's, it's kind of an event like that versus a conference, which most of us are kind of used to, which is the, you know, you go and there's a stage and there's speakers and maybe there's multiple speakers at the same time. And maybe there's some networking events at night. How does what you do differ? Well, we are open, basically it's a public, right? It's a consumer show. So it's open from, you know, nine or 10 in the morning to five or six at night. And we bring in and we host different hands-on activities and attractions that families can participate in together. So for something like Lego, for instance, where normally a child is at home and maybe they're playing with their mom or dad or brother or sister, They've never really played with hundreds or thousands of other people at the same time mm-hmm. or competed in building challenges. And the same thing with, with Minecraft. Um, we even have like uh, what we call a learning lab at our Minecraft community event where Minecraft, there's curriculum now that's being used in school. So we bring in these, these mentors and they're teaching kids you know, how, do, how they can leverage their experience in Minecraft and start applying that to coding and more advanced things. And these are things, again, that Yes, you could play Minecraft all day at home on your device or on your console, but when you come to an event like this and there's hundreds or thousands of other people, now you're experiencing it with them shoulder to shoulder. Your parents are now being able to understand exactly why their kids are so immersed in this and it, you know, the light bulbs are going off in their heads too. That's cool. I like that. What's the price point of an event like this usually? So we range anywhere between, you know, like 19 and then we'll go all the way up to close to $100 depending on um, the type of experience that that you want, so early entry, um, bundled with uh, you know some swag, you know you're going to pay a higher price point, uh, and then we also have you know afternoon entry where if you just want to come in for like the last um, last half a day of the show, then you're not going to pay for a full price ticket. Okay, so it is a lot different than a conference in that number one, the price point definitely lends itself to more of the consumer level. And so I'm imagining somebody in the audience right now listening who may be in the field of, you know, fishing, for example, maybe they have a fishing blog. I mean, why not consider putting together an event where you can bring vendors and people who are interested in the space to come together to learn about things versus a conference where you have like professionals who are coming in and people sitting in, you know, chairs listening all day. This is this is a completely different feel. Uh, and, and I, and I love that. And before we move on, cause I have so many questions about like logistically how that all kind of happens. <laughs> I would yeah. love to know, like, what, what were you doing before this? And, and kind of tell me a little bit more also, uh, about your daughter and kind of the YouTube channel and kind of like, like, how did that even begin? Oh, for sure. So, uh, I started my career as an engineer for Lockheed Martin. And, um, so I was in government contracting for, for a long time. Uh, then went to work for a startup 
uh, in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. you know, those two experiences, working for one of the biggest companies in the world and then working for literally like one of the smallest companies in the world, um, really lended itself for when I decided to to launch this and, and kind of go on my own um, to to take a lot of what I learned in corporate America and for startup and apply it to this business, right? Um, but like the the way this started, like I I went to lunch with a buddy of mine um, when I was at this startup in New Jersey, and we went to the mall. And at the mall, there was a Lego store, and I'd never been in a Lego store before. In fact, I didn't even know they they existed. And um, I was like, man, I was like, we have to go in there. And he's like, oh, you're into Lego? And I'm like, yes. And we went in. And at the back of the store, uh, there's a wall where you could fill a cup with as many Lego bricks as you can. And I used to, like as a kid, write letters to Lego asking for like, I want to buy 4,000 of this specific piece, right? It was impossible back then. And all they would do is send me back like catalogs in the mail. Like, oh, well. You know, here's a catalog of all the new Lego coming out. Um, so to see this and be like, oh, my God, this exists now um, was incredible. So I filled up a couple of cups. I brought them home. I showed my daughter. She was seven years old at the time. And we started creating. Um, the next day, I went back to the Lego store, filled more cups, brought them home. And I didn't know this, but she was at home going on her iPad onto YouTube and typing in Lego and watching all of these Lego videos. So the second day when I brought home more Lego, she asked, hey, could we create a YouTube channel all about Lego? And I really didn't know anything about YouTube other than how to consume content. I knew nothing about how to, how to post content. And, but I said yes. And we literally just leaned her iPad up against the couch and we hit record and we started making videos and, and posting them up to YouTube. Um, you know, long story short, uh, we, over 18 months, we posted over 500 videos, uh, accumulated over 12 million wow. views on our channel. And, um, and that's kind of what led me, you know, I found you through that process, um, just learning, like, like learning about monetization of the channel um, learning about growth, um, and and yeah, then that's what led us to want to initially create that very first event. How are you able to produce 500 videos that consistently? Was it kind of like a daily thing for you guys? I'd love to know that process. It was it was just about every single day. Um, I would come home. Uh, we would you know I would either buy uh, a Lego set from like the the nearby Toys R Us or, mm-hmm. or get some other stuff from the Lego store. Um, I would come home. After dinner, this is always after dinner, uh, we would build the Lego set and then we would film. So Jordan and I would uh, would sit in my office at home and we would talk about the Lego that we built. And then after she went to bed, I would go back downstairs and I would edit the video and upload it to YouTube. So it legitimately was like the 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. almost every single day just getting those videos up because during that time, um, I, I still had, you know, my full-time job. So, and there wasn't the intent to create this event, right? All we were doing is connecting with our audience and we were just doing it consistently for, for 18 months. Why? I, I'm, I'm curious, like what kept you going? Cause I can imagine a lot of people, myself included doing something similar for, you know, a month or so and kind of just like, okay, like this is, this is cool. And then, you know, to do it for that long and, and have that many videos, I mean, there's there's got to be some reason why you kept doing it every single day. What what was the main reason? The main reason was um, was family bonding. That was the number one thing. 
Um, Jordan, Jordan was super into it. It was like, as soon as I got home from work, like immediately, that's what we're starting to talk about. And it really became like a fun family game. Um, what we learned about YouTube and especially in our space was, especially with toy, toy reviews, like we really like dove in and we're like, all right, what makes a channel pop? And it was being able to get product like before anyone else. If you were able to find that product before anyone else had it or anyone else had a review on it, you delivered it first. Well, now that gave your channel credibility that maybe some of the other channels didn't have. So it really became a game where we started to learn the schedule and especially of Lego, like when are these brand new sets going to show up in the stores and how can we get our hands on them first? And then it was almost like a race, right? So we had like this game where we would um, get all the new sets and then we'd build them and, and try and get the videos up. And, and that's when we really saw our view count and, and subscriber count grow. That's so cool. So yeah. I would imagine that at your house, you just have this giant collection of Legos. <laughs> like how many would you say you have at this point? Oh, well with, uh, with Brickfest live and, and a personal collection, I mean, literally millions and millions of Lego bricks. That's so, that's yeah. so cool. So let, let's talk about the first event. You had this yep. idea to kind of bring the community together, just the local community. Mm-hmm. What all was the process of putting that first event together and how many people showed up to that? Yeah, the first thing we did is, um, as I found a venue, I, you know, and I found there was a an expo center um, just outside Philadelphia. Um, and I I called them and, and here I am like, uh, like just someone who wants to do a show with zero event experience. And, um, and got an in-person meeting with them, which I thought was important because I really wanted them to get to know me and get to know what we were all about because oftentimes like big venues like that, um, don't want to necessarily take a shot with someone that doesn't have experience. Um, right. Like normally like a hotel with a couple thousand people is something that a first time event would do. Um, so they, they had, um, they had about a 20,000 square foot space, um, that they had available for us. And then the next phone call I made was to um, to some of the local builders and local uh, and some of the the big blogs in the space. So the builders, there are clubs, right? Like any niche, there there's a club or a group that you can go to. Um, and I went to them and told them that um, I was thinking about doing this event and would they participate? And really, any anyone that we asked, anyone that we had a connection with our channel from, everyone mm-hmm. said, yeah, we would absolutely participate. So it was like good sign. Now, no one like threw any money and down or anything like that it was all it was all verbal had you thrown money down for the event space at this point yet i had not thrown money down for the event space all i had them do is hold hold the dates and then you can you can get in a a venue to hold dates for you for a certain period of time pencil it in and until someone else comes and and says like they're they're definitely serious and wants to ink a deal Mm -hmm. um the the next uh phone call was to lego uh directly they at the time had a like a community event liaison because there were these other Lego shows happening. They already had a process for approving new fan created events in that space. And, and when I talked to them at the time and laid out that I had already talked to um, the local group, the local um, Lego fan groups, I've already talked to a venue. I already have dates penciled in. Um, it really made it easy for them to say yes because I'd already done all this homework ahead of time. 
Um, and typically when people have called in the past, it was, I want to create the event. And then they would say, well, go out and, and get all these things, check all these boxes and then come back to us. Right. Um, but we had already had those boxes checked. So once we got that, okay, um, after speaking with Lego, then that gave me confidence to go ahead, um, uh, sign the agreement and, and then put, um, some money down. Um, Interestingly, I was also able to connect with a lot of vendors, right? So these are the people that are going to pay for a space for booth at your show. And, um, and I was able to start selling vendor space, se- selling booths. And, um, and that helped with, uh, with the initial outlay uh, for the venue. Had you had an event planner or somebody who had experience with events involved yet at this point when getting vendors to come and book booths and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, no. Um, this was again. This was just leveraging experience wow. um, that I had in, you know, in implementations of different projects in, you know, in corporate America. Um, and I think, like anything, you know, you guys probably talk about this a lot. It's like you need to have the vision of what this is going to look like and feel like um, at the end, right? What what does a successful event look like and feel like, and then um, work backwards from there. So that's exactly what we did. Like we and with an event, like there's a date certain. Right, so it's not like we're you're planning necessarily like a launch where if things don't go right, you can always delay it and push it out. I mean, once you sign that contract with the venue, you know that the day that it's going to happen, and there's really no moving it. So, um, so we just went backwards from from there, and we gave ourselves a bunch of time. We had, um, you know, we had like eight or nine months to uh, to plan it and start selling tickets and and filling the space. So the vendors are really important because that provides a lot of income for yourself and the event and to pay for the venue and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Is, that, is that where a majority of the income comes from? Like, what, I, I'm curious to know tickets versus vendors in, a, in an event like that. Like what percentage is what is like, where does the majority of the income come from? Yeah, the majority of the income uh, right now is ticket sales. For, ticket for sales. that first event, it was absolutely ticket sales. Um, and, and interestingly, we... So we, we built up all this buzz that this event is coming and we didn't have tickets on sale right away. So it was, it was building up like on our channel and then our vendors were talking about it and the local groups were talking about it, that this Lego event is coming, but tickets weren't on sale yet. And then the October before the first show, um, which was, which was April, first show is April, 2014, October, 2013, we put tickets on sale in the first weekend we moved um, nearly 5,000 tickets. What? Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And, and then we actually stopped. Like I, I hit the pause button, like no more tickets are going to be sold right now because right as a rookie event producer, I had no idea what 5,000 people in a room even looked like. So I called the venue back and said, and said, listen, here's where we're at with ticket sales so far. Does the space, you know, I just want to make sure that that we can accommodate these people in the space that we rented. And they're like, well, the space that you have um, would accommodate those people. But if you want to sell more tickets, we have bigger, we have more space available. So I was like, great, let's move into the bigger room. So we moved into a bigger room. It was like closer to 80,000 square feet. And then we were able to put more tickets on sale um, and end up selling out the event. Do you at this point know what the program is going to be like? Because I'm just like, considering okay like let's open up more room to get more people in but it's like what are they all going to do when they're there (laughs) yeah it it was a big deal because because yeah you could open up more room right but if you don't like 
also double or triple the content, then you're going to have a lackluster experience. Right. Um, and and we made sure that we were going to go find more content. Um, and for us, for that first show, it was the majority of the show was displays. Right. People want to come in. They want to see awesome creations made out of Lego. And it was it was up to us to go find it and then have them come, um, whether it meant, um, you know, compensating them in some way to have it come um, or just reaching out to other clubs that weren't necessarily local um, and then having them travel and come to our event and, and put displays on. So we had people come in from different countries for that very first show. Um, and come display their Lego. That's amazing. I can imagine yeah. like a team from Switzerland or you know they're going to build something and they ship pieces of this giant structure <laughs> with them and yeah. they have it in their hotel room like on the bed or something. Like that's that's just incredible that that you could create that sort of experience and then people come and they see and you know Lego is is a spectacle. You know it's it's definitely something um, to to look at. Um, what what is it? What, what was the name of that event? That event, uh, the very first show was called Philly Brickfest. Um, and actually now we run that Philly Brickfest uh, every year uh, in April. And it's to the first two days are just for like the hardcore Lego fans. So we do have like special programming that's just for them. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we open it up to the public for the event that we call Brickfest Live. And Brickfest Live is the event that that now tours uh, nationwide. And where else have you been? So Brickfest Live's been all over the United States. Um, we've been to Denver. We've been to New York. We've been to California, you know, Pasadena. Uh, we've been to Houston. We've been to Minneapolis. I mean, we've done we've done that show probably close to fifty times. That's amazing. I want to go back to when you when you did your first event. Yeah. And go through a little thought experiments and and situations with you so let's say for example you're putting on your first event and i'm a i'm a vendor that you're interested in having come attend your event but it's your first Mm -hmm. time so for me as a vendor i'm a little bit like okay well how do i know if this is going to be worth my time worth my money worth my team to go out there what's your pitch to me as a vendor for your first time event so uh so i had drafted um i had drafted a letter that i emailed to a lot of these vendors now remember like the youtube channel was a was our foundation so and a bunch of these vendors had sent me things in the mail for jordan and i to review on our youtube channel to give them more publicity so so the first thing i did is um is i called the person that i had that best relationship with um a company called brick warriors and and he he immediately was like, absolutely. Like, if you do this event, I'm in. So once we got Brick Warriors in, then it was, okay, you know, and it's Ryan Haig is the founder of Brick Warriors. So who else would, do you think would want to participate? And he, he knew from the other events that he went to who would be the most likely to participate. And then we just kind of, you know, went down, went down that list methodically. Yeah. Um, I also attended other Lego events before ours to go and get FaceTime with the potential vendors and the potential displayers. Um, so there was an event in Virginia that I attended and I was able to meet a bunch of these, you know, that would become our clients, 
um, these vendors that were already displaying and selling, you know, their wares at other Lego shows. And now I'm introducing them another market that they could that they could come into. That's huge. Okay, so what yeah. about the example of I'm an influencer and yes, you probably at this point with the YouTube channel have already had a uh, built a relationship with a, a lot of other influencers, but maybe there's like a you know, big celebrity in this space. I don't know if, mm-hmm. uh, it, like, how would you approach that person to to maybe come in and, you know, draw a crowd, obviously, if they were to say yes to make an appearance or, you know, like I'm, I'm imagining, for example, like Comic-Con. This this feels very Comic-Con to me. It's like a display and a announcement of new things. And, you know, Comic-Con is huge in San Diego. And I'm sad to oh, say yeah. I've been in San Diego for over 20 years and I have yet to go to Comic-Con, which is quite sad. But... I'm imagining like, you know, you want to get a, a celebrity, but it's your first event. Is that even possible? And if so, like, what is that conversation like? Yeah, there um, in the Lego space at the time, there was a channel called The Brick Show that was like the number one YouTube channel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we and, and that's who like Jordan first saw. She would show me their videos and that is really what inspired her to want to do YouTube. And... And I knew that I had to have a relationship uh, with with these guys, with this channel, um, and it would be great to, of course, have them have them at our events. And the way I initiated contact with them was: remember, we talked about like being the first to get Lego sets, like or being the first to get something. Yeah. We we got something before their channel had it, and. Um, instead of just like going right to YouTube and putting it on YouTube, I reached out to them and told them I had it and offered to send it to them. Wow. So, um, and then, and then they replied back and said, you know what? Like, like it's okay. Like we're going to find it, but do you have any of these other things? Right. So they, they were cataloging like Lego from like old stuff that also people never had reviews on. Mm-hmm. And I happened to have something that they wanted. So we started our relationship that way, where I shipped them some old Lego set that I had that they wanted to do a review on. Um, and then we just stayed in touch. Like we would go to a New York toy fair. So Lego would invite certain channels, YouTube channels to toy fair. So we could, you know, get video of all the new Lego sets before anyone else did. Um, and there were only two or three YouTube channels invited. Um, the brick show was one of them. We were one of them. Um, and then that's where we were able to meet for the very first time. And that was before we hosted our, our very first event. So then by the time we were ready to, to host our event, um, they were one of the, you know, influencers that I was able to, to call and say, Hey, would you guys come? Um, and of, of course they did. It's been great. That's awesome. That's so cool. And then the, the yep. final thing related to the sort of setup of, of, the, of your first event here is this is a Lego event. You don't own Lego. Lego is another company. Do you yep. or did you? How, how did you work that relationship? Because I I I I, I want to encourage people to explore this as an option for a business model, but I don't want people to just go. All right, guys, I'm going to create an eBay event and I'm just going to throw it and sell tickets, and then all of a sudden eBay, which I know is very strict on how people use their brand, yep. would likely shut them down and and even worse. So, how, <laughs> how do you get around sure. the legal of that? Yeah. So. So first off, uh, we did contact Lego and let them know what our intentions were ahead of time. They um, have not like licensed their their IP to us, right? So we are Brickfest Live, an independent produced event. 
Okay. Um, there are things that we are allowed to do. There are things we are not allowed to do, right? We are not allowed to use the Lego logo. We are not allowed to use a Lego minifigure. But we are allowed to create our own, like, brick-built mascot that we call BrickBot. And that is like the face of our brand. So that's a Lego built character that is only associated with BrickFest Live, right? Cool. Um, and we are allowed to descriptively say that it's a Lego fan experience, okay? So that's not part of our name. The, the Lego trademarked name is not, in, um, is not our brand, um, but we are allowed to use it as, as a descriptor um, and go on with that. Now, on the other side, with MindFair, um, our Microsoft or, or Minecraft event, we are under license from Microsoft. So that's that's uh, an event that we run in official capacity. Okay. And I'd love to kind of transition into that. Thank you for that, by the way. That's super helpful. Yep. And so obviously reaching out to that company to make sure everything is in, in alignment and that, and that you're following the rules so that you can keep that relationship moving forward and everybody's happy. That's, that's the most important thing. But you have this other event. So that's for Minecraft. And yes. Minecraft, another huge thing that I am also involved with. Now it's like Lego, but in the digital space in Minecraft, yep. which is really cool. Um, at, how many years after the first event did you decide to explore this second event? Uh, it was a little more than two years after. So the first event was in uh, April of 2014. We actually then produced another show called Young Innovators Fair, which is a science and tech show. That was January of 2016, but and that brought in different, you know, um, you know, science and biology yeah. and, and all these different that innovation cool, worlds. Though. It was so cool. And one of the worlds was called Hackers Hideout. And in that world, we had um, a group come in and they wanted to do all this Minecraft stuff. We're like, great. So we had this idea that we wanted to do a Minecraft show. But then at that event in January, we really saw how much enthusiasm there was toward Minecraft, which really gave us the confidence to say, all right, yeah, the next big thing that we're going to do is going to be Mindfair. And, um, and then we did that show October 2016 was the very first time we did that. So a little after two years after the first show. That's amazing. And you said that one is indeed sanctioned and, and licensed through Microsoft. Um, yeah. Did you approach them in a very similar way? Because you, you didn't have a Minecraft channel did you right we didn't have a minecraft channel and the first event that we did was was not a uh, was not operated under license it was also operated as as an independent production okay so so what we saw in in it was interesting in in the minecraft space so that's where you start talking about like like the youtubers and like the celebrities there are way more high profile influencers in like video games now, especially and and in Minecraft, than there ever were and ever will be probably in the Lego world. Mm-hmm. So so we knew that like getting these YouTubers where kids are going to want to have meet and greets with and and all that was like a big part of it. So when we did our our homework and we looked at well, are there other events that have happened before in this space? Um, what we found was Microsoft had their own event called Minecon that they did one time a year in one part of the world. And that was it. And it was a really high-end event. That's the one in the UK, um, right? They have had it in the UK. Yeah. They've had it in Anaheim. They've run it like four or five times. And there were these other Minecraft events that had tried, like independently produced Minecraft events that have tried to start, but they were they were um, mired by failure. And some events like even sold tickets and then they ended up canceling the event like the week before it happened. So there was like this black cloud over 
over other independently produced Minecraft events. And it's something that we had a battle against. But thankfully, we had this history of all of these other events that we produced. So when we went to approach now a potential vendor or sponsor or YouTuber to participate at Minefair, right? Even though there was all this stuff that was happening like in the Minecraft community with like events that were non-starters, mm-hmm. we were we were able to show well we have this body of work with Brickfest Live and Young Innovators Fair that gave them the confidence to say yes and want to participate. So it really all comes back down to like that initial foundation that we built, right? No, we do not have a YouTube channel, right? A personal like YouTube channel all about Minecraft, but it's still also riding on the foundation of the YouTube channel we had all about Lego because that led us to Brickfest Live, which led us to Young Innovators Fair, which enabled us to um, promote and produce Mindfair. Love it. I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to start YouTube channels after this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But as you can tell, like, you know, um, you grinded for it and you went 500 videos in and then you, you, it kind of unlocks these opportunities through these connections that you're making, which is, which is really great. And I agree with you on the Minecraft stuff. Like I know that, you know, my son follows a number of YouTubers who initially started as just Minecraft streamers and, and, and video, uh, YouTubers and, and they're huge. I mean like Dan TDM and um stampy Stampy long nose and you know all these unspeakable yeah yeah like i know these guys and i feel like i know them a little bit more because they're in my house all the time through the youtube uh videos that we watch but they're so fun and so do you pay them to come do you like i'm just still curious on the the big time celebrities um how how you get them to because they're probably being asked all the time for things like this and and they probably have PR people that you're speaking through? I don't know. Like, can you give us some insight on... Because, I mean, those guys are, are going to be the ones that sell the tickets, really, because people will come to see them. Um, and, you know, that's... I mean, you talked earlier about, like, having it be an amazing place for a family to come. I mean, that's... I know, like, Keone, if he saw one of his YouTube favorites, he he would just have the best time of his life. I mean, that's that you want them there for those moments, how do you provide those moments with these celebrities who are so in demand? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, I w- there's a lot of things that you said there, and, and I think there's a lot of things to consider. So so one is we actually do, won't announce our lineup until almost um, – until like two weeks to 30 days before the show. So what that does for us, like we do – um, announced that we are going to have like YouTubers, we are going to have creators at our show, but we're careful in the sense that like we're not leveraging necessarily their brand and their audience to sell tickets. Um, because if they happen to cancel, um, and a lot of like these guys are, you know, they're not prof- professionals in, in all cases, and sometimes their plans change or other opportunities come up. Okay. Um, and we don't want to get ourselves into a position where we're necessarily selling a ticket because one one person is going to be there. Right? Unlike a Comic Con, Comic Con's different. Like like you mentioned, Comic Con. Oh, the Avengers are going to be there, right? Well, you know the Avengers are going to be there. They are absolutely the reason why people are going to buy tickets. For for us, we we just want to um, let folks know. Yeah, we're going to have eight to fifteen creators. We're going to announce them as we get closer to the show. But that's not necessarily the reason that they're buying the ticket. Okay, we yeah. Once we announce it, we may sell some more. 
Um, but it really puts us, the production company, the producer of the event, in the driver's seat mm-hmm. where um, where we're not where we ne- don't necessarily have to com- compensate um, a creator, you know, based on their following. Um, what we are able to do with creators, if they do commit early and they do want to promote, um, we will we will give them affiliate links, right? So kind of just like any other event, like they could be compensated on the amount of tickets that they sell. So for the most part, we we provide, um, you know, we'll get them to the event and then they're able to monetize by, you know, selling their own merch, for instance, Um, if they they have their own t-shirts of their band. Yep. Yep. We set them up on a stage and we create their experience at the show and then they're able to monetize um, the fans and, and the audience that way. That's awesome. That, yep. that that's great, and, and I would imagine as a creator myself to know that a, a company is not reaching out to me just to leverage the brand that I've worked so hard to build um, to sell tickets to their event. Like I'm, I'm not the reason. I like you're reaching out to me for the right reasons, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it kind of like makes it easy. Like it really makes the conversation easier. Now, if you the, the, the flip side is if you do want to do an event and you want to build it around a certain one or two or three different people, then absolutely like announce them way ahead of time and leverage their audience and have them post on their social channels and give them those ticket links to, to go sell tickets. Um, we decided to for this particular event um, to do it to do it the other way. The brand Minecraft is big enough where that's what's going to drive the ticket sale. Right, not necessarily the creators that's going to that's going to be there. Dude, this is so insightful. the The final topic I want to talk about before we finish up, um, yep. and I, I also want to plug your 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 events and your production company in case people want to learn more about all that stuff. So we'll do that in just a minute. But ticket sales in general, what are you doing for marketing and advertising for uh, more tickets being sold? Yeah, so we um, we primarily use Facebook for. Um, for acquiring all of our leads and and selling them tickets. And we know that Mommy is the CEO of the household, and it is our mission to find as many Mommies as we can, whether it be uh, Instagram or Facebook. And, and we've created this process where... So imagine like when we used to go to concerts, right, as kids, like before the internet, mm-hmm. um, I call this like the Billy Joel, right? The... the the Billy Joel method. So Billy Joel would say, I'm coming to Philadelphia and tickets are going to go on sale on this day. And you could only get them at tower records. And we used to sleep out on the sidewalk and until they, you know, the night before. So when tickets went on sale, we got the best seats. Right. Right. So there's a lot of people that are listening. They're like, Oh my God, like we used to do the same exact thing. (laughs) So, so now how are we able to do that same thing in an online, but how do you do that online? And what we've done is we've created this like pre-sale wait list where we get people to opt in, but they're, they're not opting in for, you know, a, a how to guide. They're opting in for the right to be the first to know when tickets go on sale. So we'll run like a two-week lead acquisition campaign where people are just opting in for the right to know when tickets go on sale. And then we tell them tickets are going to go on sale at, you know, on this day at this time. And then that's when they get the email um, with their secret link that isn't advertised on the website 
they're only getting it because they opted in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to get them um, access to that first batch of tickets that go on sale at the very best price. So that's like phase so, one, right? It's phase one. And then and then it's really, it's, it's a cycle of rinse and repeat. So we'll do pre-sale, we'll do super early bird, early bird, advanced, and we'll continue that process all the way up uh, until the event. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. And sure. uh, before you go, tell us all the good places to go and check out more of what you have going on, including your events and your company and all that. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely check out openworldevents.com. Um, then you can see all the productions that we have and where they're going to be coming. Um, if they're coming to a city near you, we'd love to have you. Um, and then uh, for me, you could check out chadcollins.me um, or look me up on Instagram. That has become my favorite platform. Dude, love it, man. Thank you so much for the value today. It's very inspiring, and I think it could potentially open up a lot of big opportunities for people. So I appreciate you, man. You got it, Pat. It's been fun. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chad Collins. Again, you can find him in a couple places, chadcollins.me, as well as openworldevents.com. And I'm looking to bring in my family to one of those events very soon. Uh, Chad, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you coming on and just everything you're doing, especially to help inspire kids in the realm of education and you know Minecraft and all that stuff does play a big role in education as well. So keep doing what you're doing and thank you for the inspiration today. Hey, and really quick, I wanted to talk to you about something that happens every month here. I offer a free training to help you get started with affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing, for those of you who don't know, is generating an income by recommending other people or um, other companies' products. And what's really cool is your target audience is already buying a lot of these products. And if you can be the one to let them know about it, that company can offer you a little bit of a kickback as a thank you. And I provide this free training every single month. I teach you a number of things such as passive and active ways to create campaigns to sell more of other people's products, plus my secret weapon for affiliate marketing that most people don't do. Now, this is of interest to you. All you have to do to sign up is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash A-M-M. That's A-M-M for Affiliate Marketing Masterclass. smartpassiveincome.com slash A-M-M. You register and sign up there, and I'll see you on the call. For those of you that want to get links to all the great things that we talked about today, all you have to do is go to the show notes page at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 347. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 347. A big shout out and thank you to everybody who has recently left a review on iTunes and wherever you're listening for the Smart Passive Income podcast. It just means so much to me. I do get notified when I get them in. I have some tools that help me see them no matter what country you're in. So I just, again, thank you so much for all those amazing reviews and just keep on rocking, guys. I cannot wait to serve you in the next episode. If you are not yet subscribed to the Smart Passive Income podcast, all you have to do is pull out the device and hit subscribe, and I appreciate you so much for that. Have an amazing day, and I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. 
These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.